Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. I'm Diane. I'm a mother of three living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. Joining me on today's episode is fashion designer Laurel Wells Thompson. Our conversation focuses on the history of children's fashion, how things changed post-industrial revolution, why we are addicted to cheap clothes, the true cost of fast fashion, what to look for when shopping for kids' outfits, everything from fabric to construction, and so much more. But before we get into the conversation, I quickly wanted to share my minimalist resource with you. This week, it's a podcast. It's called The Daily Stoic Podcast by Ryan Holiday. Ryan Holiday is a New York Times bestselling author. You may be familiar with his book, The Obstacle is the Way, which is fabulous. That itself could be a resource I recommend to you. But for those of you that don't know a ton about stoicism, I'd suggest that this is a great place to start. I would say that stoicism could be a religion for some. For me, I just appreciate the idea of enduring pain and hardships without complaint focusing on gratitude and positive emotions to reduce the negative emotions that we are obviously going to encounter. This is obviously a very simplified version of stoicism. So if you are curious at all, check out the Ryan Holiday Daily Stoic podcast or his book, as I said, The Obstacle is the Way has been a huge game changer in my mindset. Okay, Lastly, I wanted to share with you that Laurel had sent me an image prior to us recording of her grandpa and his siblings. I included that in the show notes, and I'll also be sharing that image on Instagram for anyone that's curious. It was just a great starting off point for this conversation, which is about to start right now. Laurel, thanks so much for joining me today on the Minimalist Moms podcast. Hi, thanks for having me introduce yourself to the listeners and tell me if you consider yourself a minimalist. Yes. So my name is Laurel Thompson. I am the founder of a company called Baya Made, which is a collection of clothing for babies and toddlers that is expandable. So it fits about three times longer than most other brands, sometimes even longer than that, um, which allows you to own way fewer of them. And yeah, I'm a hundred percent a minimalist. And I think I probably always had minimalist tendencies, but I lived in New York city for a decade and worked in the fashion industry. And I lived in, I think I never actually measured it, but I think my apartment was like 290 square feet. (laughs) And that will turn you into a minimalist real quick. And then also just living in New York where you don't have a car, like you kind of can't take anything with you that you can't carry yourself. I would have to do grocery shopping like every two days because all I could carry was like one or two bags of groceries. So now I'm just allergic to schlepping things. I'm the lightest packer ever. I can pack in like six minutes for two weeks of a trip and it all fits in in one little carry-on. And then, you know, I wouldn't say my home looks particularly minimalist, but I just hate having more than one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I would say I probably just just embody minimalism in every part of my life because I have very low tolerance for too many things that I have to deal with. It's very stressful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'm wondering how that carried over into you creating your business because obviously you recognize that this was the theme in your life. And I want to talk about your business and then kind of go into the history of children's fashion, because you create a children's line of this growable 
fashion. So why don't you explain it? You'll do a better job than me. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I don't think I ever thought in my wildest dreams that I would go into children's wear. I actually worked in women's ready to wear in New York, my whole career. Um, I designed textiles. I designed clothing. I designed accessories. But when I moved to Atlanta, which is my hometown, I ended up getting a job at Carter's, which is most people know the largest manufacturer of baby clothing, at least in North America, maybe on earth. And I didn't have kids. So I really didn't quite understand what I was doing. I mean, I knew everything about design. I just didn't really understand like how I was serving parents. Um, But while I was at that job, I had a baby and I very quickly realized that she just didn't need anything. (laughs) I had this like little pair. I like to knit as a hobby. And I had this little pair of knit pants that I made her. And literally that's all she wore. She was born in winter. So she needed something to keep warm, but she had these little knit pants that would just, I'd pull them up and I would just pull them off and change the diaper and pull them back on. Uh Um, And that's like literally all she needed. And she co-slept with us and I mean, I just had this profound realization that like babies just don't need stuff. And yet I was sitting in my glittering tower above the city, like designing baby clothes that I knew by now were going to either sit in the closet, get worn once, maybe never get worn. And then what, <laughs> you know, <laughs> then what happens to them? Like we, we didn't have a second child. So like, I kind of refer to it as the bag of shame. Mm-hmm. just like a bag of outgrown baby clothes at the back of like everyone has one like yeah. it, it sits at the back of your closet for a few months and then maybe it like migrates to the back of your station wagon and you drive it around for six more months and then maybe you drop it off at Goodwill so I kind of realized that what I was doing wasn't working so much for parents and I felt it in myself in my own life I ended up leaving that job it was too much to do corporate job plus motherhood like the way I wanted to do it so I left that job and, you know, just for fun, I started making clothes for my daughter, whose name is Bea. And I used these vintage patterns. So they were like really old patterns, probably from like the 1920s. And I noticed that they were just different. They were made differently. They had adjustability features, extra buttons or, you know, longer straps, just really no brainer kind of parts of the design that allowed them to be used longer. And I just thought there's really something to this. And even though I swore I was never going to start a business, it just kind of happened. And um, it just kind of became like my mission. You know, it was like, we're kind of doing baby clothes the wrong way. This isn't working. It's not working for parents. It's causing everyone to feel really overwhelmed and stressed. And it's also like a huge hazard for the planet. So I decided to embrace that and really go for it and developed it into a whole line of clothes that could fit a lot longer. And hopefully, you know, the materials are really durable. So hopefully people can keep, keep them and hand them on to siblings or friends or keep them for future generations. Absolutely. Yes. When my daughter was born, she was eight pounds, four ounces. And so I don't think she was ever in newborn clothes. I think she like pretty much went to three month old clothes because I didn't care if they were just slightly big as opposed to being a little bit too small in her And I just think about if manufacturers took into consideration, Hey, we could just add a slightly more fabric and a few more buttons. This could grow. This could have some more longevity, but I mean, they are in business to make money and they want you to come back every few months to get that three, six, nine month clothing. And I understand that, but even so it it is, I feel like it's kind of manipulating. 
think that's really important for people to think about like big manufacturers, especially fast fashion, like big box stores are not interested in what's best for you, you know, and what's best for your child. They're interested in their bottom line. So maybe my business model is like a little bit flawed, (laughs) but, but, you know, it's like, it's all marketing and, you know, we're going to talk about the history of fashion, but gendered baby fashion was like not a thing until the last hundred years or so. And it's, it really happened because of people's need to make money as you know, they, they grew these empires. So, and I will say, I'm sure that some people are going to follow me. If I say this, I'm, I'm very pro innovation. And if you have a good idea, the best ideas stick. I, I mean, I don't want to go into the depths of it. It does suck that places like Amazon are crushing mom and pop shops. Cause I also have absolute love of mom and pop shops that are just trying to make a way as well that probably can't compete, but we are not going to open that can of worms. Um, all that to say <laughs> live I, and let live. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I'm like, if we all just went back to this classic previous generation, the way that they lived, we would probably be a lot better off. I mean, I think obviously we can learn so much from history, which will segue us into the history of children's fashion. I'm so excited to hear more about this and what that looked like. You said that there weren't gendered baby clothing. That makes sense to me, but tell me more. Yeah. So the photo that I sent you will just describe it. So this picture is from about, I'm going to guess it was about 1910, 1912. And it's a photo of my grandfather and his brother and their little sister. And they're all wearing white dresses. And I love this picture because honestly, like that's when things started to change. That's exactly when things started to change. And for several different reasons, but before then it was actually considered kind of taboo to like gender your children because gender was associated with sexuality. And so it was like almost a little perverse to differentiate between boys and girls, because that's like something that comes later, you know, in puberty, like that's when the differences begin to emerge. Um, And so everyone wore white and they all wore dresses. And the reason they wore dresses is because diaper changes were like way easier. Um, And they all wore white because it was easy to wash. And, you know, that was before, you know, not before the industrial revolution, but really before the popularity of electric sewing machines and different developments that allowed clothing to be made and woven, like fabrics to be woven a lot faster. So things were made by hand, you know, things were, things needed to be designed to last. They were really expensive and time consuming to make. Like if you've ever knitted something or sewn something, like you don't want your child to only wear it like once or twice, you know, you want it to really last. You want them to get a lot of use out of it. It's very, baby clothes are very sentimental. So um, yeah, before that, Clothes were really built to last. They were unisex. They were made, you know, white was easy to bleach. You know, it might get dirty, but you could easily bleach it. It's actually one of the reasons that I use so much linen in my collection. Like in the spring and summer, it's almost exclusively linen because linen is extremely durable. The fibers are 30% stronger than cotton. So, you know, you can wash it with your regular laundry and the stains just completely wash out. Mm -hmm. Um, So linen to me is a much superior fiber. It's also naturally sustainable because it doesn't really require pesticides and it survives on rainwater. Whereas cotton is extremely thirsty as a crop and it's the most chemically treated crop on earth. So yeah, they chose fibers that were extremely durable. 
all the children could wear the same. They would hand it on between siblings. There was just not any like drama around that. But at the beginning of the 20th century, there was sort of a perfect storm. It was like industrial revolution allowed for mass production of cloth and fabrics. And most people don't know this, but originally light blue was the color for girls and pink was for boys. Hmm. Because the thinking was that red was sort of like the bolder, stronger color. And so pink was like a softer version of that. And the blue was, you know, milder and softer. That didn't really switch. The pink and blue didn't really switch until I think it was like the 1940s. And I'm not really sure why that happened. Mm -hmm. But that was the beginning. And then, you know, as clothing became more readily available, Mm-hmm. You know, some smart marketers figured out that they could sell you twice as many clothes if they were different for boys and girls. <laughs> so if you had one boy and two girls, you had two, at least two wardrobes, if not three. Um, and then, you know, that trend just sort of kept on going. And then in the 1980s, the big development was amniocentesis. So we started being able to ch- tell what the sex of our baby was before they were even born. And of course, if you've ever been pregnant, you know how exciting it is to find out the sex of your baby and you want to start getting ready and you want to get them all the things. And so the buying frenzy would start even earlier. Yeah. I remember that feeling. It was like being pregnant, I would, you know, I had an employee discount. So I'd walk into the Carter store and I would just be like, so excited, you know, I can't wait to find out the sex so I can like buy all the things before I had my big aha moment that she didn't need anything. There were so many fabric mills. I live in Georgia. So there were many fabric mills here in the South and factories and all of that in the late 80s and 90s began to move overseas to Asia where they could essentially get, they could manufacture things almost for free. And so that was the birth of fast fashion. You know, Zara, I think started in about 1990 and it's pretty recent that that stuff happened. And then it was just like all heck broke loose. Wow. So much information. That's so fascinating. I did not know any of that, but also back in the past, you could just put on these flowy linen clothing, these fabrics, because kids just weren't, we weren't focused on that. And that's where Mm -hmm. I think that we should get back to. I don't foresee that happening, but I, (laughs) I'm very pro (laughs) that type of lifestyle. The other thing I think about a lot is that, you know, just because of the way our economy has gone women pretty much have to work now. Like you can't really survive on one income anymore. And so we rely on fast fashion. I mean, it's a shame, you know, cause a lot of people cannot afford to invest in quality clothes. All they can really afford is fast fashion, you know, whatever they find that's like fast and convenient. Mm-hmm. A lot of empathy for that. But because of that, because we pay so little for our children's clothing, we think of it as disposable because we pay disposable prices for it. And we really, really have to stop thinking of it that way. I mean, especially, I know there's a lot of crossover between minimalism and sustainability. I mean, minimalism is just sustainable by nature, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But if we want to preserve this planet for our kids, like we cannot continue to treat clothing like it's disposable. And the truth is, you know, no matter how cheap the clothing is that you buy, someone is paying the price, mm-hmm. even if it's not you. It's either the people who make it overseas who a lot, let's be real, like a lot of those people are enslaved people. The Uyghur minority in China is pretty much growing the world's supply of organic cotton. Um, so, you know, unless we're very intentional about that, then it's a very high price on people and the planet. And the truth is, I did a cost study. You can buy an outfit from Target 
or you can buy an outfit from Bayamade and the cost per wear, if you break it down, of the Bayamade outfit is less. Mm-hmm. So it's actually mm-hmm. more affordable over time. It's just mm-hmm. that, you know, you're you're paying you're paying a little more at the register. Well, and it's interesting for myself, I am all about secondhand shopping. And I mean, most of my winter wardrobe, I'm wearing wool, but that I, that I thrifted. And so I know people don't like the idea of, oh, someone else has worn this, but I mean, what's the big deal? You go home and you wash it and, and move on with your life kind of first world problem. And I think that (laughs) if we are going to make a dent, that's a really easy, simple way to again, get higher quality than having to pay for whatever fill in the blank price. I mean, God bless those heritage brands, right? You know, Patagonia, L.L. Bean, like people that really, really do take responsibility for their products. They make them to last. I mean, thank goodness, because you can get like really amazing, durable pieces in the thrift store. I understand, you know, new parents, especially when it's your first baby, like you're just like nervous, you know, you're nervous to put them in something used. Like, I don't know where it's been. I think all of us after the first few months are just like, you know, like I cannot think about that. Um, but you're right. I mean, the most sustainable thing we can do is buy secondhand. And these days it's so easy. You know, I actually started this business by selling my daughter's old clothes mm-hmm. on the Kidizen app. My favorite thing ever. Kidizen is amazing. I sold her old clothes on the app and then I just bought fabric <laughs> and made new ones. Uh, that's so fun. My daughter the other day asked me, she's like, can you make a police outfit for my dog. And I had just cut my jeans. I cut them into shorts the night before I saw this reel on Instagram of this woman cutting her jeans. And I used the scraps of my jeans to make a little dog outfit. And I mean, I'm not the best seamstress, but I sewed something together for her and it was just so, it was a fun thing to do. So think outside the box. Again, if you do have your first baby, there's something to be said about maybe getting a few new outfits for them. They definitely don't need nearly as much as I would have assumed as a first time mom. But when you go to the thrift store or the secondhand shop, or even like a nicer one, a lot of the stuff that's being donated still has tags on it. It's never been worn. So think about the things that are donated that you donate. I mean, maybe not you, but people (laughs) donate. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to prioritize that or just making a better effort to do that. Yes. I mean, I I think that's gaining traction and I know it's going to just keep getting easier. I mean, I love that I can just hop on Poshmark and look up the brands that I like and order things so easily. I just bought a new pair of shoes. This woman sent it to me like literally the same day. I showed up the next day. I'm like, this is faster than Amazon at this point. (laughs) So you've kind of mentioned why we're addicted to cheap clothing because a a lot of times it's out of necessity. It's out of financial need. We have to, but do you have any other reasons that you think that we are addicted to that easy access, I guess. Well, there's pressure, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I always see that movement on Instagram or wherever, where people are like normalized outfit repeating. I find this hilarious because I've been repeating the same outfits for 20 years. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I don't know who doesn't like to repeat outfits, but apparently that's a thing. And I think there is pressure, you know, actually we were just, um, my daughter, for some reason, school starts at the beginning of August here. So my daughter just started second grade last week. And my husband's like, well, should we go get her a new backpack? And I'm like, now that's a cultural thing. Like getting a new backpack every season. It's absurd. Uh-huh. Her backpack is perfectly fine. Like, yeah. No, we're not going to get a new backpack. We're going to use the same one. So yeah, I think part of it's just cultural. It's like, we think, oh, every, every season we've got to go out and get new things. You know, we just don't question it. 
Yeah, that is, that's tough. On the first day of school, we typically go get ice cream. We make it a big deal. Like I want to do those types of experiences as opposed to having, yeah, you don't need a new backpack. That's a yeah. great solution. Cause it's like, you do want to celebrate the occasion. And I think we've just been conditioned to be like, oh, you get new clothes, you get your new fall clothes for school. You get your new backpack, your new pencil case, but you know, that's a great solution. Like come up with a tradition. That's an experience to mark the day. Yeah. Well, it, it, yeah, it's, uh, it just, it is, sorry, I'm just kind of thinking through it and it is really hard. Like I understand that just because my values are a certain way, if my kid goes to school and it's like automatically she's forced to feel these values, even if she's feeling that pressure from her classmates that all do have nice new things. I understand that that is extremely hard and I don't really, I don't know the answer to that. I think that you just keep encouraging and you keep giving these experiences and you bring maybe the friends into the experiences. So maybe you can have a back to school year, little get together in your backyard and you have an ice cream bar at your house for all the friends to like help build them up with their friends feeling cool in other ways. I don't know if that's dumb, but no, I mean, I think you're right. And it's like, I think that's why it's so important to start them early. And for me, it's not the reason that I started this business, but, you know, I think teaching our children to value things, it starts really early. You know, I noticed my toddler at the time, she would break something and she'd be like, well, we can just go out and get another one. And I'm like, no, we can't. That's not how this is going to work. And it's like, you, you know, we really have to fight that earth because everything in the world right now is made to be disposable and replaced, but, you know, teach them to have pride in that. Like, I'd like to think my daughter now is confident enough that if someone gave her a hard time about repeating an outfit, that she'd be like, no, this is like, this is the way of the future. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So kind of to wrap up my last question I had for you is what do we look for when we're shopping for our kids outfit? And I'm thinking everything from the fabric to the construction, uh, of these pieces. And then quickly, how do we dispose of the clothes that we already have responsibly? I love this question. Um, I mean, I think for children's clothes, especially baby clothes, like they're not going to try it on. So I would hazard a guess that most people are not taking a very good look at the clothes before they purchase them. And, um, and a lot of us shop online, so we can't look inside, but if you are shopping in person, take a good look at the inside of the garment, you know, like you can tell a lot about the standards of the company, by the way, things look on the inside. My mom is the one who taught me to sew. And she used to always say, make your clothes as beautiful on the inside as they are on the outside. I love that. I think it just speaks to the integrity of the maker, but also the garment. So look inside, you can see if any of the stitching is already coming out or if it's loose, you know, if you see threads hanging out, not a good sign. Um, So that's my first tip. And then, you know, in terms of fabrication, like I really do not like to buy polyester off the rack. I actually have a blog post on my website. If anybody's curious, that will tell you exactly which fabrics are made of plastic nylon, polyester, acetate, all of these are just different names for plastic fibers. Buying those off the rack, I'm going to say that's a no-no because it's just really bad for the planet. Obviously it's a petrochemical, but also it leaches um, those little fibers that come off of your clothes in the wash that go into the waterways. That's not good, but plastic is actually extremely durable. In fact, it takes like two or 300 years to break down. So if you're shopping secondhand, go for it. And you can protect the water by getting like a certain type of filter for your washing machine, um, or there's certain bags that you can put things in. So 
if you want to be responsible, do it that way, but go for it. Get all the polyester, save it from the landfill if you get it secondhand. But otherwise, when you're shopping new, I would say look for fibers that are natural and organic. As I've said, linen is really a superior fiber because it's just so extremely durable um, and it lasts such a long time. Second best, I would say is organic cotton. Cotton is a short fiber. Like, you know what a cotton ball looks like. It's a short fiber relatively, as opposed to linen is a very long fiber. So it's not as strong, but when you buy organic cotton, it hasn't been through quite so many chemical processes. So it's a little bit stronger. So I'm going to say that it's durable. And then after that, really just anything that's natural. So, you know, bamboo is a good option. Bamboo processing is like a little iffy um, because it takes a lot of chemicals to like soften the fibers, but that's a good one. You know, just anything that grows out of the earth is a good choice. And then I like to look at how gendered something is or how trendy something is. You know, is it if it's gender neutral, you know, it's immediately going to get more use. If it's too trendy, you know, if you buy something that's trending now, I can't, I'm not in touch with the trends anymore. But if you can think of a trend that's happening right now, I don't know, crop tops, whatever, like avoid those because that's not going to be cool. I like to avoid anything that's sort of overly embellished. So like ruffles or graphics, you know, at Carter's, we always had like the dinosaur playing guitar or whatever. <laughs> that gets dated really fast. So, you know, always opt for the more classic styles. And I think if you keep that stuff in mind as you're shopping, then, you know, you're going to get a lot more use out of the things that you buy. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, you're saying some of the things that I try to, to live by as well. I, I typically try and buy shoes, even the water shoes that are black, just so that both kids can wear them. And yeah, I'm, I'm all about that as multiple uses as we possibly can get out of things. And I do that. I, I try to stay away from the trends, even for myself, stick with the classics. They'll always exactly. remain popular. No need to follow the trends. And also lastly, I will say this even with your kids, and then you can tell me where listeners can find you, but as long as you are confident in what you're wearing, this is to adults. I think you can get away with wearing anything. I think you totally. just, it's all about your confidence. If you're like, yes, I look good. I'm, I may look a little nuts, but I look great and <laughs> I am confident and I think you can wear whatever you want. Yeah. I totally agree with you. And I hope that that's true because who knows what I'm rolling around in all the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, where can listeners find you if they want to connect with you online or support your business? Yeah. So you can find me at Bayamade, which is spelled B-E-Y-A-M-A-D-E. -E. So Bayamade.com is the website. And then I'm just on all social channels at Bayamade. Come say hi. Yes. No, I love this. You were so informative. I think this will be really helpful to people, but really fast before I let you go, I always do a quick fire round at the end. What is a resource that's been beneficial to you that you'd like to share with the listeners? So there is a documentary called The True Cost that everyone should wear. I mean, honestly, I was not interested in starting a business before I saw this movie. And then I realized how important it was for people to start making changes in the way that they dress. So the true cost documentary, I'm actually not sure where you can stream it right now, but it may be on Netflix somewhere like that. That's kind of my forever resource right there. I also want to say when watching documentaries, I think it's really easy to allow yourself to be completely overwhelmed and to feel like you can't make a difference or that you have to change everything, but you can't afford it. Yeah. Just all the things just make small changes. Again, start at thrift stores with your kids clothing. If you feel like you can't invest in these a little bit more expensive items, like don't allow it to be debilitating because then you're just going to remain stagnant. At least in my own life. I've noticed that. It's so true. And I just, I find that one good turn leads to another, you know, you make one small change and then it's much easier to change something else. And it's just like a 
it just amplifies over time. So totally agree with you. Absolutely. All right. Last question. What is something that you can't stop talking about? All right. I'm just going to go with um, climate change. It's really important. Our children, you know, our most important job is to provide safe, safe everything for them. And that includes their home. You know, we all live here together. So that's what I can't stop talking about. Thank you so much for sharing your passion and your heart. I think it really like shown through. And I, I really appreciate when someone lives out what they feel like their calling is. And so I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. I love your podcast. So this is quite an honor. What did you think of the episode? If you enjoyed this conversation, I want to encourage you to leave a rating and review if you haven't done so yet. Leaving a rating and review is the best way you can help this podcast continue to succeed and grow. Again, thank you to everyone who supports The Minimalist Moms by listening, leaving those rating and reviews, or following along on social media at Minimalist Moms Podcast. As always, I invite you to keep the conversation going at minimalistmomspodcast.com, and there you can find links to the Instagram account, my Facebook page, and where you can find me all around the web. Thank you for joining up on this journey. I wish you a lovely week as you think more and do with less.